Hello there. This is an incoming transmission from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome to the Credible Nerds podcast with Mark and Justin. This is the podcast you're looking for. Don't go about your business. Stay here. Well, go about your business and listen. And then you can move along. Move along. And may the force be with you. Always. Incredible Nerds Podcast. My name is Justin, and today we'll be talking about The Mandalorian Season 1. We'll be doing a review of Chapter 3 called The Sin. And this episode was written by the man himself, John Favreau, who's kind of a he's in charge of the, the series. He's one of the executive producers, so he's able to write and even direct a couple episodes. But this episode was directed by Deborah Chow. And from what I understand, she's, at least at this time, she's going to be directing some of the upcoming episodes of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. So she's kind of making her way into this Star Wars Disney Plus arena. So I thought this episode was pretty good by her. So that's good news that she's going to continue to... uh, direct more episodes of Star Wars shows. So uh, we'll talk about this episode, The Sin, and we have some help with some fellow bounty hunters, some fellow Mandalorians that we've invited onto the show. We have our returning guest host, Nathan Carlson. Hello, everyone. And Blake Williams. Hey, everyone. So uh, welcome to the show, guys. Uh, We've done two previous chapters, uh, chapter one and chapter two. So we'll be finishing out uh, the full eight chapters at some point, hopefully before season two starts. But uh, we'll we'll finish out this season one and then go from there. But um, so welcome back to the show. Glad to have you guys. Good to be here. Thank you. So we've all recently rewatched this episode in preparation for the recording this episode how was it sitting down i think we all watched it together back in uh november of last year so it's been almost a year how was it uh sitting down and revisiting the show was it still entertaining almost a year later was it interesting kind of your overall take on it what do you think blake yeah no still still had me going in fact i've watched it I think I watched it again uh, uh, about three or four weeks ago as well. So still entertaining, kind of interesting after watching the, the subsequent episodes going back to this one and, and uh, having seen where some of this, where the story goes, uh, coming back and watching this episode, it, it was fun to, uh, to do that again. So, yeah. What about for you, Nate? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I watched it like, like Blake uh, a couple months ago, and then I watched again today. Uh, and uh, you know, out of out of the episodes up until this point, this one had a lot of action, had a lot of uh, it was quick paced, and uh, it was exciting. And uh, you kind of get a little more deeper into the world and the universe at this present moment, learning a little bit more about uh, the child and and. Uh, there's some Easter eggs in here, and yeah, it was a great episode. Yeah, that was my impression as well. It's good to revisit. I think the rewatchability of this show is pretty high, uh, from the at least from these first three episodes. 
there's a couple episodes later that I'm curious to see how it'll be a year later. Some of my least favorite episodes uh, later on in this season, but we'll talk about that later. But for the for now, this this uh, chapter really good to rewatch it, especially in preparation for the next season. So uh, when we last left our hero, the Mandalorian, he had gone to this new planet to search out this bounty for what we end up finding out is Baby Yoda, the child. Uh, for you guys, do you prefer Baby Yoda or the child? Which which one is it for you guys? So I prefer the child, but I always say Baby Yoda. <laughs> you know, I guess that's just how it goes. Right. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I, I think to call it Baby Yoda, of course, kind of is it's obviously inaccurate and uh, kind of throws you everything off. Uh, but you can't help say Baby Yoda because he's so cute. Yeah. And saying the child <laughs> just doesn't sound right. Yeah, it's too generic. Yeah, it's too generic. Yeah. So uh, Mando finds Baby Yoda, ends up bringing him back to the planet where he uh, got the bounty from, where the 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 Bounty Hunters Guild, I guess, this chapter was located. So he's bringing it back to collect his money. And that's where this episode starts out. So they're in the spaceship. They're flying back. Uh, Mando gets a, a hologram message from Grief Karga, who's the guy in charge of, of this bounty, and tells him, you know, just take him directly to the client. You know, they'll take care of him. We don't know what he's going to do which is kind of the theme. One of the themes of this episode is who knows what's going to happen to baby Yoda. Is he going to get killed? Is he going to um, be taken alive and doing whatever they're going to do with it? So he's like, okay, I'll take him. So he lands and this part was pretty cool in the sense that he lands at the village where we started out from and he's walking through the streets and it has that uh, old original trilogy feel to it where you got all the different characters, creatures, uh, old buildings, and you got some astromech droids rolling around the, the town there. So it's got that really um, 1970s Star Wars vibe to it, which is, which is really great. And so he's walking through. Baby Yoda's looking at everything. They arrive to the, the client's headquarters, and two stormtroopers come out. One thing I noticed in this rewatch was when the stormtroopers came out, um, Baby Yoda looks at them and he gets this like angry expression on his face like, oh, I remember those guys. And then he looks up at Mando and he's like, wait, you're going to give me to those guys, right? That's where this is going. So that's what I noticed anyways. Whether it's true or not, that's what I took from it. So... He's able to, from there, they go in, they meet the client, and he's the guy that's, you know, bounty hunting is a complicated profession. He's got that distinguished voice, distinguished presence. And we never learn his name. He's just the client throughout the whole series. So we have the child, we have the client, and then in this episode, we're introduced to the scientist. So a lot of generic names. Which is fine. I think uh, we don't need to get bogged down in those details necessarily. I did. I did have a thought at this part of the show where I was kind of 
that I didn't think before, and that was uh, regarding the stormtroopers. You know, in the past, especially in the original trilogy, we didn't ever really get a lot of dialogue from the stormtroopers, and it, right. it seemed pretty canned. And uh, when when the Mandalorian is taking uh, the child down the hall, and the one stormtrooper reaches over and grabs the the uh, the floating stroller, so to speak. You know, he's like, hey, watch it there. Uh, you know, be careful with that. And he's like, you be careful with that. <laughs> and anyways, it, it didn't sound, you know, it, I, I got the the thought or the impression. I'm like, that doesn't sound like a stormtrooper. That sounds, you know, stormtroopers were really militant and really, like, structured. And, and it really didn't, probably didn't feel like they had a voice. Um, and uh, we're just kind of like, and, and I, the thought that occurred to me is I wonder as a result of the fall of the empire, you know, and, and we've seen in scenes and, or at least commercials of pictures of like uh, stormtrooper helmets, like on pike poles, just stuck on there. And, and I just wondered, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if some of these stormtroopers were even stormtroopers or they were just kind of like thugs who just found a dead stormtrooper and just picked up their armor and are like, just, Hey, I got me some, I got some some stormtrooper armor, and they're just kind of like walking around because they look pretty dirty. They look pretty, you know, battle worn. So there's a part of me that wondered if some of these guys are not necessarily professional soldiers, like stormtroopers, but rather just bount like bounty hunters or other types of just thugs who just came across a dead stormtrooper and just stole his armor. Maybe they they joined after the fact. You know, this is I think. I can't remember if it's five years or seven years after Return of the Jedi, so maybe they're newer like, recruits or something like that. Yeah. Kind of things have kind of unraveled at that point, so maybe either attitude or organization or or whatever, and maybe a lot of those things have changed since uh, since the Empire's downfall. Yeah. All right. And they, you know, their armor is all scuffed up and dirty when typically in the past it was clean. They would, if it got dirty, they'd clean it because they were, you know, part of this big organization. But now it's, from what I understand, the the Empire is obviously just, you know, no longer an organization. There's all these splinter cells. At least that's the impression I get. So they're not as organized. They don't clean their armor. They talk back to people. So things have gone downhill. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um, so they take baby Yoda in to see the client and he's excited. The scient we're introduced to the scientist again. He comes in and they look at him, they test him and he's like, Oh, he's perfectly healthy. And they're all excited about that. And so then we're introduced to, um, the Camtono and, so the Camtono is that container that has all the Beskar plates in it. And that's one uh, Star Wars trivia nugget is we first saw this in uh, Empire Strikes Back on Cloud City. There's a brief moment where you see this guy in an orange jumpsuit running through Cloud City with what looks like a, an old 1980s, 70s ice cream maker machine. And so the fans, after, you know, we've watched that movie many times and people have noticed it and like, what's that guy do running around with an ice cream maker? And 
people have theorized and speculated what what is that thing so finally uh dave filoni and john favreau have clarified that for us it's like a a safe or you know something you carry valuables in so yeah a great little easter egg and nod to the to the uh the empire strikes back movie and uh I know a lot of cosplayers who love to dress up as that character yeah. and uh, and run around with their ice cream makers at, at Star Wars uh, conventions. So, yeah, yeah, that was a great little scene. Yeah. It would be cool if it also was an ice cream maker, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the one in Empire Strikes Back, and I think it was an actual ice cream maker, or I don't know, was it? Well, the, the prop was, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. The real or in-world use, uh, I don't, I don't. Yeah, but now it's yeah. a safe. Uh, but a safe that's also an ice cream maker, like Blake said, uh, definitely. That's, that's a great. I product. keep all my ice cream in a safe, so <laughs> yeah. Got to hide it from the kids, man. Got to hide it from the After kids. After all that trouble making it, yeah, yeah. you got to keep it safe. <laughs> so they named it a Camtono, which is, yeah, another word new word as well as another star wars word so he gets that full of beskar and he asks him you know what are your what are your plans for it what are you going to do with this creature and the client's the client is offended he's like wait you know you guys don't ask those type of questions you just do the job you know what are you doing and so he kind of got mad at him and mando takes off so mando leaves the the client and he goes to the Mandalorian hideout and we see the multiple Mandalorians walking around again in their armor and he goes back to the armorer and he shows shows her the Beskar this you know, all these different um, plates or bars of Beskar and she's like amazed by that she's like wow that's a lot and so they talk about how they're gonna make him a complete set of armor out of this Beskar when before they had just made uh, I think it was a sh- some sort of plate on his was it on his leg. So shoulder. Sho- oh, his shoulder. shoulder. The shoulder yep. pauldron. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So they first they had just made that small piece, but now he's going to get the full armor set. So, and this is where all these other Mandalorians that were in there they come walking in and like, hey, what's going on? Where'd you get all this money? Basically, and we have the big Mandalorian show up and um, he grabs one of the bars and he's like, you know, Hey, this, these were made in Imperial forges and are the spoils of the great purge, which is kind of what we see in those flashbacks, I'm assuming. But, you know, so that's why the Mandalorians are in hiding because of this great purge. And now this guy shows up with all the, the loot that was stolen from him. So, he wants a piece of it. Yeah, that was an interesting scene, um, you know, and subsequent, you know, they have a knife, they have a fight, they kind of have a battle. Um, one of the things that I, I picked up on during that scene is, is, you know, they mentioned that, you know, we have to live in hiding in this, in the, in this coven or covert and, uh, and it's and uh, I believe that the big Mandalorian says, you know, this is why, you know, we can only go up or show ourselves like one at a time and live like rats, which, you know, some 
information there that you may or may we may as a viewer we may not have been aware of it and you know why why are they doing that is it is it to hide their numbers is it to uh kind of because they feel why do why do they feel threatened because the mandalorian he he can go up and walk around and he doesn't get automatically attacked um so why why the need to feel like they have to live in hiding i'm not quite sure because it isn't just for the because they obviously can go out, but obviously they feel like a need to hide their numbers, I would imagine. So they, they don't want people to think that they're growing again and kind of becoming a, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, but th that's just conjecture on my part. Well, and it's interesting because the, that piece of it, and then getting ahead of us a little bit at the end, they talk a little bit about the recovery. And... Uh, you know, I think when when uh, when the Mandalorian is talking to Greece, he's, they, they talk a little bit about, hey, call the Republic, you know, report report this little sect to the Republic and, and have them go in, and then kind of shock the fact that, well, you know, that's what the Republic is for. So I kind of did the same thing. Kind of like, when, when the Mandalorian fit into this whole new story, Yeah, there's a lot of good information in this short, you know, five, seven minute scene. Um, back to your point, uh, Nate, where the armor says our secrecy is our survival and then our survival is our strength. And then that's they all say this is the way, you know, they all chant that. So that's kind of their code of conduct. It seems like, you know, keep ourselves secret. That's how we survive. That's something that I hope we do see later on. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting was during, you know, you mentioned that they fight, they have these knives and they knives and they pull them out and start fighting with each other. But at, there's this point where they just stop and you see the knives kind of vibrating. Like they, they want to, you know, move forward and stab the guy, but they can't like they're being held back by something. They were just frozen there. So, and I couldn't figure it out. I, I remember I'd noticed it before, but just kind of went on with the story. But this time I was like, well, why why can't they do anything with those knives? Why are they just, it's like they were magnetically stopped or something. And I guess it had something to do with the armor because she was the one controlling the whole situation and didn't want them to kill each other. So I don't know, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Did you notice or have you read anything about that? I, I didn't. I actually did not pick up on that. Um, I know from from a little bit of reading that 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 those blades are vibro blades, um, okay. but um, but I I didn't think that there was a, a another force, whether seen or unseen, that was preventing them from you know, committing to hitting each other. I, I just thought that was something they kind of like, you know, they're fellow Mandos and they're like, I, Hey, I, you know, they, they just, both of them stop short mm -hmm. of, of the kill shot, you know, ultimately because, you know, what that doesn't do us any good to, to fight amongst ourselves. And, and I accounted the, the vibration to being what I believe was 
has been talked about in the past, and that was the, a vibro blade, which I don't think has ever been seen in a movie, but I know it was that is a weapon that's part of canon, I believe. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not 100% in, sure. I know the vibro blades are in the video games and some of the books even. But, yeah, maybe I just saw read it wrong or reading too much into it that, like you said, they did stop themselves short of actually hurting the other person. But to me, at least this viewing, kind of looked like they were stopped by something. But I don't know. Could be wrong. You're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Cancel the podcast. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, oh, and then also we're introduced to the concept of not removing your helmet. Uh, their armor asks the Mandalorian, you know, have you ever removed your helmet or has it ever been removed by someone else? And he says no. And then uh, she says, well, this is the way. And then they all repeat, this is the way. So another concept of Mandalorian cultures, you don't take off your helmet. And that's explored further on in uh, future episodes, but um, something we never really knew about. And my, my perception is the armor is the leader of this coven. She seems to be the one calling the shots, the one, the one in charge. Yeah, they definitely seem to um, be a, 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 a leaderless covert, but they obviously, um, the, the, the blacksmith definitely has a role where they respect her and look to her as, uh, in, in that, as a leader. Um, whether it's official or not, I don't know, mm -hmm. but she seems to be the one that they look to as a leader. And another concept is they, they decide to save some of the best car for the foundlings and that the foundlings are the future. So that's another, we don't know much about them other than Mandalorian was a foundling. And I, it sounds like, you know, these kids were adopted into this Mandalorian group. So they're foundlings and then they're raised up in the in the way and become future Mandalorians. So So the armor starts to forge the armor. Uh, she asks him about, you know, do you need it you have a signet, the mud horn? And he declines for that to be his signet because he didn't defeat the Mudhorn by himself. He says his an enemy helped him. And he didn't know that he was his enemy, but the enemy helped him. So he can't claim victory. He can't claim the signet just yet. So um, then he also they also talk about forging whistling birds, which is one of the weapons. So and then while the armor is forging... The armor, we see more flashbacks that kind of expounds upon what we saw in earlier episodes where the Separatists were attacking his village and then his parents end up getting killed. And we full-on see one of those super battle droids from the prequels, you know, rips open the, the hiding spot door of where he's at and aims his weapon and looks like he's going to shoot him. So I thought that was a good flashback, a way to tie in uh, the prequels. Uh, we've seen things where... 
the original trilogy is tied into this show and we're also seeing things that's you know from episodes one two and three that are being tied into um this show so i think that's a great concept that they're introducing there well and it was you know this was an interesting episode because it's i mean it's it's a pretty deep episode where it really explores the mandalorian as who he is what he stands for and and kind of that uh you know that i guess inner struggle that he has with how he handles this whole situation he's kind of got the the code of the bounty hunter he's got the code of the mandalorian uh and then also as kind of his history as an orphan and these flashbacks i think it kind of adds to that kind of that struggle that he has in this episode where he's got his, uh, yeah he's got a lot of things he's got to balance and figure out where he stands on those those different issues that you brought up so we'll get back to that later when he does have to make those hard decisions so mando he ends up he gets his armor he goes back to the cantina meets up with grief karga again and this was part this part was kind of cool you know he shows up he's all leveled up in his beskar armor it's all shiny and everyone's looking at him and they're like oh it's him he's the one that you know pulled off that job and got paid so they're all jealous of him he's looking nice Meet, sits down to meet with Grief Karga and he's like, okay, I want another job. What's next? <laughs> so, you know, it's back to business for him. And one thing we learn in this situation is uh, he does ask him, how many other fobs did you give out? You know, how many other bounty hunters were involved looking for Yoda? And I believe we talked about this in a previous episode. Um, you know, how many others had it in this fob? And um, Grief says they all did. Everyone in this bar had one and had the chance to go track down Baby Yoda and, and bring him in. But he did it. He was the one that was successful. So, And then he also shows Mando. He pulls out his, you know, says, hey, I got paid too. And he pulls out his two or three bars of Beskar and puts it back in his jacket pocket. So, And then again, Mando asks Grief Karga, you know, what are they going to do with the child? You know, he's so Mando, he's still thinking about it. He's still wondering, you know, hey, is this, did I do the right thing? He's got that inner dilemma going on. He's worried about it. And grief just blows it off. He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. They're going to do what they're going to do. That's not your concern. You know, you need to, you know, do your job and then move on to the next one. So that's what he does. He takes the chip, the puck. He's going back to, I think they said the ocean dunes of Karnak. And the the bounty was uh, one of those Admiral Akbar characters. One of those, I forget the race, the, what's it called? Fish face. Fish face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry. I couldn't resist. Yeah. It'll come to me in about two minutes, but yeah. It's one of those guys. We'll look it up. Yeah. So he's headed out, he get back, he gets back in his ship, he's getting ready to take off, fires up his engines, and he sees that control knob that Baby Yoda was playing with in the very first couple minutes. He looks at it and he's like, Oh man, this little kid, you know, he's got my heart or 
he's you know something about him so he puts it back on and he's like okay i gotta do something about this so he shuts the ship down heads straight back to the client's headquarters and um he comes up with this plan to figure out how to break him out basically and we do see that he he uses his scope to to listen in and find out uh, he sees the client and the scientist talking about something and they say you know we got to extract the material quickly um and then the scientist is like no we got to take him back alive that's what the deal was so they're arguing about that and so uh mando feels like well i got to do something because they're probably going to kill him so that's he comes up with this plan where he creates a distraction in the front and then goes around back and blows up a hole into the wall and starts going in and um, fighting multiple stormtroopers, you know, to get to, to baby Yoda. Um, here we see Mando use his multiple weapons. He's got a blaster. He's got the, the cable that shoots out of his wrist and then he's got a flamethrower. So he's pretty well equipped. How was it for you guys seeing the you know Mandalorian in action against these stormtroopers? What do you think, Blake? That was cool. I mean, he cleaned house, right? Yeah. And uh, he's yeah, he had all sorts of different weapons. Uh, obviously, but I guess. Um, and then you know, finally, I think at the very end, he's after well, not at the end, but there in the middle when he pulls out that flamethrower and just torches that stormtrooper. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. He, yeah, he, he knows how to take care of himself. Yeah, I was actually a little shocked how how brutal, how uh, how uh, merciless he was. I mean, he grabs the one guy with the cable and pulls him back and stabs him in the back with his blade and barbecues the other guy. He was he wasn't holding any punches. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, whoa. Well, <laughs> you think about going back to what we were talking about earlier. You think about the the interactions with the stormtroopers in in the first trilogy, you know, and and uh, how those battles were. Usually, they're about you know thirty feet apart, and a stormtrooper get blasted in the chest and fall down. Yeah, this steps it up a notch. Yeah. Now, and, and there there's probably some backstory there too to to some of that emotion, right? Because of the the separatists, which. I guess the separatists was essentially the, you know, the clone army was created to fight the separatists, correct? Yeah. Justin? The droid army, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The clones were created to fight the separatists, which were the droid army. But ultimately, you know, we know there was a, a bigger, darker uh, secret to the creation of, of the clone army. So it makes you wonder why he is so, you know, if there's any history there, because he did not hold any punches, and uh, and that one guy that he did, there was one, there was one part of that that sequence where he knocked a guy down on the ground, and he was just laying there, and he pulled out his blaster and just shot him while he was down on the ground, <laughs> and then you're like, wow, he he means business, he's there to clean house, so yeah, it was, I enjoyed it, I appreciated it, and uh, it kind of brought us back to the first episode where we saw some of his fighting skills uh, because in the previous episode, you know, they kind of, he kind of got beat up by that mud horn a little bit and the Jawas, he struggled a little bit with those guys uh, getting into the, uh, 
getting into their uh, their vehicle. But uh, yeah, it was it was fun to see him uh, kick some butt there. To see him use when he was surrounded at the end by the four. To see him use uh, the uh, the warbirds. Was it the whistling birds? The whistling birds. Yeah, because you're like, what? That doesn't sound very threatening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Here comes the whistling birds. Look out! Yeah. <laughs> so that was a cool weapon we hadn't really seen before. Where you, yeah. You know, all these little darts just spread out and find the nearest target and take him down that was pretty cool so and it's interesting because you know back in back in the day 1978 or whatever uh you know boba fett was originally the first mandalorian at least back then and he started out as a super stormtrooper you know he was like an elite stormtrooper initially and so to see and he had basically the same armor design so it's cool to see that you know, this super stormtrooper take down these other stormtroopers. So I thought that was a, a cool moment because you don't really see Boba Fett or Jango Fett fighting clone troopers or stormtroopers at any point. So this is pretty much the first time we see that image, that imagery. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so he takes down all those stormtroopers. He does... He goes into the room and the scientist is there. He's like, no, no, I don't, I didn't want to do it. You know, he plays the innocent victim and he does, Mando does spare him from killing him. He's the only one he doesn't kill, but he, he takes baby Yoda and gets out of there, takes out a few more stormtroopers on his way out. Um, but then as soon as he walks out, he's walking down towards his ship. I don't know why why he didn't just run or you know go the back way or something because maybe go yeah <laughs> out around the town and yeah. step right down yeah main street yeah. yeah it's like yeah look what I got um, but as soon as he gets out you know all the other bounty hunters in the in the village their fobs start lighting up you know we got a new bounty and it's the Mandalorian so they they block the entrance i guess there's only one way in and out of the town so they block it up and they surround him and grief cargo's even there and he's like hey you gotta you gotta let the child go and if you're lucky we'll spare your life too but he doesn't so he he try he takes out a few of them hides he gets pinned down and he doesn't look like he's gonna get out of that um even though he uses all his tricks, he uses all his, his flamethrower fuel, he uses his rifle that disintegrates beings, you know, people uses that, but he still can't gain an advantage. So just when you think he's doomed, um, all the other Mandalorians just come out in mass, flying through the air, jumping down uh, from buildings and stuff, and just are just mowing down all these other bounty hunters they're shooting them they got their missiles uh everything just laying laying waste to them so when you guys saw that for the first time even today or yesterday when we watched it again what what was your reaction how about for you uh, nathan seeing that for the first time that was pretty cool you know obviously the first instinct was like 
the first thing was to see them all wearing their jetpacks, and the first thought that popped in my head is, is why doesn't Mando have a jetpack? Yeah, <laughs> you know, but because it seems like every other single one of them did, and they're all flying around. But uh, clearly, they're they're experts at their craft because uh, they, I still think, um, they were outnumbered, but they had no problem taking out what you would presume are other professional bounty hunters, but clearly still nowhere near uh, the level of fighting that these guys are at because they start taking them out and this big battle ensues. Uh, and uh, it, it was pretty epic and a lot of marksman shooting, which I appreciated. You know, Mando's got his long rifle and he's taking those guys out, turning them into dust. So great scene, great sequence, a really great pace. Uh, loved to really enjoyed it. Well, and you know, whenever whenever you have that scene where the the cavalry comes at the, at the last moment and, and, uh, and saves the day, that's always pretty fun and pretty exciting. You know, it's, it kind of it kind of made me think a little bit about that. You know, the 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 Mandalorian way and and you know that thing. This is the way. I mean, for them to come up and stand beside him kind of regardless it, it kind of shows how important that higher law is or that way of life is of the mandalorian so uh it's pretty cool scene for sure yeah and they they obviously but not obviously but they revealed themselves right and up until this point they've been living in secret and and we we learn later on towards the end of the episode that you know that that this was this they by revealing themselves all together at once, it was more than just, you know, it had a, a bigger impact on, on, on the covert or uh, as they called them, uh, as they called their group and, uh, they were going to have to move it and because their, their secret was blown. Uh, so, so it shows, as you mentioned, Blake, just not only the dedication to each other, um, and that they have strength in numbers, and uh, but a willingness to make sacrifices uh, uh, for one another. So yeah, and uh, some real team camaraderie there. Go team. <laughs> Go Mando team. Go team Mando. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was an amazing moment. I think there's been some similar scenes in uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels in the animated realm. But this is the first time we see this in live action. Uh, I think we saw we saw Boba Fett in Return of the Jedi kind of fly in with his jetpack in the the 80s special effects. So yeah, it was cool, but eh, it was very limited. It wasn't that amazing. And then we saw in Episode Two with Jango Fett flying around in his backpack while he dueled and fought with Obi Wan on Kamino. That was pretty momentous moment as well, but. We haven't seen something like this with multiple Mandalorians, with multiple jetpacks, and you know, just an army, basically. I don't know if it's an army, but let's say a squad of Mandalorians just coming in and taking care of business. That was pretty epic. Um, it was. You know, and I had always gotten the impression uh, from the Return of the Jedi that, that, that the jetpack had a very short lifespan it was yeah. kind of like a, a boost or not something that you could fly around and just stay suspended in the air but more or less something that just kind of 
boosted you from one area to another uh, and was an added uh, uh, benefit, but certainly nothing that you could just sit there and hover in the air for a long period of time. So this, and I'm sure that that has been shown in in the animated series, but I hadn't seen that. Uh, so it was cool to see that. Yeah, and we see the big, uh, the big Mandalorian that was challenging uh, the main character. He comes in, and they, you know, he has no qualms, just sitting there supporting Mando. And even though he's basically revealed, he broke. I don't know if he broke the code. We'll get into that in a minute. But he made it so they have to leave. You know, instead of being angry, he's like, "Yep, we're here to support you." He's got that big Gatling gun. He's like, you know, just taking out guys left and right. And um, interesting fact is that guy, that character, was voiced by John Favreau, you know, the, the director, the creator of the show. So that was cool. I don't think it was him in the suit. That guy was a little large, so like taller <laughs> than Favreau is. So yeah. but definitely got the voice. So he's like, hey, Mando, get out of here. We'll, we'll take it from here. So he grabs the child and goes off to his ship to escape. And, of course, <laughs> there, you know, there's always one more guy waiting for you know, the hero. And it's Grief Karga this time. And he says, hey, you broke the code. I can't let you leave with, with the child. you got to leave him behind. And so Mando creates a diversion. And Grief Karga tries to shoot him, but he can't see him. And then Mando shoots him, and he goes flying. Grief Cargo goes flying out of the ship. And then um, Mando takes off with the child and escapes. And, of course, you know, Grief's he's not dead. He sits up, and he's like, oh, pulls out his Beskar. And that's where the, the laser bolt hit him was in the Beskar, so he survived. So, Yeah. That's Great episode. sequence. Great episode. You know, two things that I, you know, I thought of um, that I wanted to talk about was, you know, one, when, when Mando is about the, he's, he's left the child there with the client and, and the, the scientists and he's in his ship and he's about to leave. And then, you know, he's, he's the ships, he's turned the engines on, he's about to fly away. And then of course it, he pauses and he decides to go back. Something that occurred to me is this is, I wonder if he couldn't help but feel like this was uh, uh, some empathy with the child because that, that was kind of the situation he was in. You know, his his village was attacked. His parents, you know, hit him in, in a bunker, so to speak, and he was left all alone and scared as a child himself, and he was rescued. So I wonder if he felt didn't feel some empathy and couldn't help but feel like, what am I doing? You know, this is... This is exactly what happened to me, and I was I was left to the wolves. How can I how can I turn around and do this to this to this this child? And and that's when he just commits himself to to rescue. And, and there must be more to this than than meets the eye because when he's up on the roof and he's overhearing the conversation uh, between the scientist and the client, you know the 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 client. Uh, and it's kind of hard to hear, so I, re I I put on the captions. But he basically, they have they have a brief discussion, and the scientist is like, "No, we're supposed to deliver him alive," and and the client is like, "Get the material that you need," you know, and 
So, so th that brings up the opportunity, kind of what we may want to talk about, and that was is like, and, and you, I know you've brought this up before, Justin, but what what was the purpose? What was the scientist going to do? And I know that he had an emblem on his clothes that you know what that emblem represents. Um, because that was kind of the big discussion, or that's part of the big discussion, is, is what were they going to do with the child? Yeah. yeah, the emblem was from Camino, where the original clones were created. And you see the patch on the scientist's uh, uniform. And it's the same patch that uh, the baby, or the younger Boba Fett's, the clones of Jango Fett, what they had on their clothes. So it was some sort of Camino cloner. Uh, emblem so that's why the you know then the question is okay are they cloning baby yoda or is baby yoda a clone or you know what's going on maybe they're extracting the material to maybe look for how to clone force users or get the midichlorians i know people groan and roll their eyes at midichlorians but you know that that's an established canonical fact. <laughs> so maybe they're going to get the midi-chlorians and create force soldiers or I don't know. That is the question, you know, what, what happens next? Yeah. Well, and I, well, and, and it's it, interesting. I was just going to say, you know, I mean, in earlier uh, chapter or in the chapter two, I guess it was um, one of the droids was, was about to, uh, about to kill the child, right? Because it was dead or alive kind of thing, right? And so it was a little interesting to hear him say, you know, that what they needed the child for was they needed him alive to kind of extract that. But before that, it was seemed like it was dead or alive. I That confused me just a little bit. Um, yeah. And well, and we, we learn, however, though, that there's, there is a third, there, there is a, there's an, a, a third party, a, a, pup, a puppet master, so to speak, and that beyond this, that has a character that hasn't been introduced yet, that the client is potentially working for, or perhaps maybe is a double agent of some sorts and is trying to get, you know, the client is trying to get the child, but not deliver him to who he's, who's, who's asked him to get it, for the purposes that he wants. And then he's like, no, we're not going to deliver the child alive. Get the material and we're going to kill it. Because the scientist, when the Mandalorian breaks into the room, he's like, hey, I kept him alive. He's alive because of me. Don't hurt me. He would have been dead. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of little tidbits of information are shared to kind of, you know, lead you to be like, there's, there's much bigger story here. Yeah. Yeah. Something else going on. Yeah, I hope that subplot is revealed and expanded upon uh, in the next season. I hope it's not just dropped and they move on to something else because it's not overall, it's not that important, but it's, it's pretty interesting to see how that plays out. So, um, but yeah, you know, who, who are, who are they? Who's the client? This client is, sounds like he's a leader of that Imperial remnant cell there on that planet. But who is he? You know, why, why? What are they doing there? That's one of the questions I hope is he doesn't get killed in this episode, even though all the other stormtroopers do. His soldiers, I guess, he doesn't. I mean, he shows up later in the in the season. 
And the scientist, is he from Camino? Is he working with the Caminoans, Kaminoans? Uh, has he got his own agenda? You know, I hope these questions are answered. I don't want to see him dropped, even if it's in a comic book or something at some point. That'd be, be yeah. really good to see. I agree. So any other interesting thoughts from you, Nate? No, great episode. Really enjoyed it. Uh, it really expanded on the series, built up on, added a whole new layer to the series. And as a first time watcher, um, you know, you, I think it, it really made, uh, brought a lot of excitement for where the series could go. And so I really enjoyed it. It was a great episode. Yeah. Um, and then as a side note, uh, Admiral Akbar is a Mon Calamari. Yes, that's it. Mon Calamari. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mon Cal. Uh, one thing Blake brought up earlier, he has these different codes and rules that he's living by the Mandalorian. And so I guess my question is, uh, did he, first of all, the, the episode's titled The Sin. So what is the sin? Was it uh, breaking the bounty hunter code? And did he even break it? We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, was it the Mandalorian code of revealing themselves, or is it something else? You know, the, you know, what is the sin? Yeah. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I tend to think it. It kind of leans more toward maybe the Mandalorian side of things because you know, sin, sin's usually uh, uh, related to religion or, or something held, you know, more more closely, you know, like a religious type of belief versus a, a bounty hunter code. So I, my first thought is that, that, that it leans more toward, you know, perhaps uh, his 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 role in exposing the Mandalorians or or something like that. But then at the end of it they're they're all there right next to him helping him escape and and so um yeah that's that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to think the other way. I tend to think that well, I think it's both. I, I think the obvious answer is that he broke the the guild code, right? Because that seems to be brought up a lot in the episode, that that it's, hey, you know, you don't ask, right? When he delivered the when he delivered the child, he's like, hey, you're you're you don't ask what we're what we're doing. That's that's against the that's against the code. And then when he goes to speak to, um, you know, the guy who hired him, what's his name? Grief Karga. Yeah, when he goes to speak to Grief Karga, he's like, "Hey, what are you gonna do with the child?" He asks again, and and he brings says the same thing, you know, "What do you care?" You know, that's against the code, but I I do think it kind of it does overlap, and ultimately there is obviously uh, some religious uh, connotation to the term sin, and whether Mandalorian is a religion or not, I don't know. Um, and I, I certainly, he personally didn't cause the covert to reveal themselves, but perhaps by him going back and stealing the child back away from the client and creating this situation where they had to defend, they felt like they had to defend their brother in arms, you know, it was it was a sin. But mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's uh, it, I did at the at the beginning of the episode when they flashed the title. Uh, that is certainly something that I thought about myself. Was like, what? Why are they calling this episode the sin? That's weird. Yeah, yeah I wondered. Did he really break the code, though? I think maybe questioning, hey, what are you going to do with this child? I feels, it seems like that was breaking the code. But as far as, you know, he delivered his bounty. He got paid. He left. The job was done. So going back, did he break the code? I mean, I think he had some insider information, but did he break the codes? He, he went rogue, basically. So I don't yeah. know. He did the job and he got paid and then he came back and kind of like a kind of like a drug deal gone bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he delivered the goods and then he stole the goods back after yeah. getting the money. Yeah. So. He's but the yeah. Sonny Crockett. He's the Sonny of Crockett of Mandalorian. Yeah, you have been watching a lot of Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> so who's Crockett? Jeffo, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's Tubbs? It's got to be uh, Grief Karga, right? They were, yeah. They end up working together later on. So. They do, and and uh, which is you know, and obviously a whole other topic, and which I was glad. I mean, I didn't think he died because I was like, but I, but not really being familiar with the series at this point, you weren't sure how ruthless they were going to be with killing off main characters. Um, so I was, I didn't think they killed him off, but I, you never know. So I was relieved to see that he was still alive and, and that he plays ultimately, as we know, he comes back in the series. Yeah. And he's in season two as well. He's yeah. in the trailer. So that's good yes, news. he was. Yeah. So speaking of which, what a great trailer. Yeah. So good. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for it. So we see we see him go to different planets, which I thought was good because although he does leave world, I think twice, the initial episode where he goes to get the child and then the next episode he leaves and comes back. Oh, he does go back to to the prison. So yeah, so I guess he leaves a couple of times, but my point is it'll be good to see in this new season the different worlds and see how they expand. Um, everything kind yeah, of like what's... after the empire has fallen mm-hmm. yeah interesting i'm excited to see that too well, yeah and, and i mean i you know you expect to see some some jedi in, in the mix on this as, as that's that seems to be one of the main you know underlying stories so that'll be cool to see mm-hmm. and in our review of the empire strikes strikes back for the 40th anniversary uh nathan and i talked about how the empire strikes back expanded upon the original star wars by showing us new planets going to new environments and that enriched the saga at that time so much more so i'm hoping this second season of the mandalorian has that similar effect where you know we see more places more groups more organizations and just you know expands everything so that'd be it's gonna be good a lot of great scenes from that there's rumors of boba fett is gonna be in that um ahsoka tano from the clone wars will be in it 
So yeah, a lot of cool stuff. But uh, one thing I want to encourage everyone, this episode revealed a little bit more of the Mandalorian culture that we hadn't been exposed to before. Uh, encourage everyone to go back and rewatch the or watch for the first time episodes of the Clone Wars that deal with Mandalorians. We're introduced for the first time in a show, even though it's animated, um, the Mandalorians, where they live. And even Jon Favreau makes an appearance in, in that, in those episodes. He voices one of the main characters in that, in those episodes. So he's he's been involved. So for this show, it's executive produced by Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni. And both those guys were involved with the Clone Wars. Dave Filoni was one of the producers for the Clone Wars, was heavily involved in creating this Mandalorian culture storyline with George Lucas himself that seems to it continued throughout the Clone Wars, bled over into Rebels, the another animated series. And now it's in, you know, this show, The Mandalorian, this live action show. So if you have some time, I encourage you guys to go back and watch those episodes of the Clone Wars that deal with the Mandalorians and you know, follow that timeline all the way through to, to this show. I think you'll pick up, it brings up the dark saber, which, um, comes into play later in episode eight, I believe. So definitely worth your time. So we'll review coming up next. We'll review chapter four sanctuary, where we find out where the Mandalorian and baby Yoda escape to what they do, uh, what happens next, basically. So we'll, we'll re revisit that and review that here shortly. So we want to thank you guys for, for joining us here on this review of Chapter 3, This Sin. And definitely um, check us out on social media. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just do a search for Credible Nerds, and you'll find us there. Join us there. Join in on the conversation. We posting stuff about all kinds of different uh, universes and franchises. Not only do we cover Star Wars, but we even cover Star Trek, cover Marvel, DC, all kinds of nerdy stuff. So we're always posting stuff, talking about different franchises. So if you have a favorite one, definitely check us out. We'll probably be talking about it at some point. Unless you're a Doctor Who fan, uh, we don't uh, really do Doctor Who. <laughs> Sorry. That's one of the few franchises that I just I just can't get into so we won't be talking Doctor Who sorry guys but um everything else is fair game so yeah definitely check us out on social media and stay tuned for the next episode so thanks for joining us guys and we'll meet you at the Twilight Healing Baths with a Camptono of Spice see ya bring your own spice yeah Twilight will bring the spice <laughs>